reading from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. When he had entered Capernaum, speaking about Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Amen. And may God bless this reading of his word. Well, for those of you at home, just so you know, I've got a vast congregation here of seven people. Uh, that's not including myself. And I've got to be honest, it's a little bit daunting for me. I get more nervous in these situations than I do in a normal service. But uh, please pray for these guys. They're present here at the moment. And um, I'm going to do an altar call at the end. No, I won't do that. But um, it's difficult with so few numbers. But tonight, the passage we're looking at is an incredible account. And I say it's incredible because what happens and what is said would be shocking to those who are a part of this, those who are standing there and hearing what Jesus says. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really set about smashing the belief that following God was all about keeping the law. He called to account those who were living their lives with these outward appearances only. And we will see that in this passage we're looking at tonight, Jesus will smash through some religious barriers built by a nation who failed in their call. And what we need to keep in mind is that Jesus is offering the kingdom to Israel at this point. He's only offering the kingdom to Israel. When he sends out his disciples in in Matthew 10, 5 and 6, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when he speaks to the woman in chapter 15, who was a Canaanite, you'll remember this story, he says, It is wrong for him to give food for his children to the dogs. And again emphasizes that he has come for the lost sheep of Israel. There's maybe six months of worth of messages in, in this alone. But let me just say that Jesus' ministry to the lost sheep of Israel um, was biblical and intended that he is the good shepherd would come and gather them around him, that he would renew them. And then it launches them or sends them into the world to proclaim the message of salvation to all people. And when it says all people, that means Jews and Gentiles alike. But here we have a Gentile, not just any Gentile, but a Roman centurion. This is a battle-hardened soldier who would have normally been hated or despised by all of Israel. He was part of an occupying force and they were oppressing Israel, or so they would say. And a centurion is a soldier who had proven himself and his loyalty to Rome. 
He was responsible for the discipline of his soldiers. And it was these centurions who were largely responsible for the morale of the soldiers that um, they were over. And realistically, they were part of the reason that the Roman army was as strong as it was. They actually held these, these smaller groups together. And we need to keep in mind that these were some of the finest men in the Roman army. And what is interesting to note, every time a Roman centurion is mentioned in the New Testament, it actually ends in a positive. The centurion who is standing at the cross of Christ declares him to be the son of God. Cornelius um, was the first centurion, uh, sorry, who was the centurion who was the first Gentile to become a part of the church, the first convert for the new church. The centurion who rescued Paul from the mob, the other centurion who was made aware of the plot to kill him, and then he took great steps in order to protect him. And there's others as well. But every time a centurion is mentioned in the New Testament, it has a very positive spin on it. So this centurion tonight is the first of many who encountered Jesus and his followers with favorable outcomes. We're just going to pause and pray once more. Father God, I think it's obvious I need your help. Just be with me this evening. And Lord, just bless the word that is before us. Let it speak to us, Lord. Let us have open hearts and open minds to hear from you. And let us respond to this word, Lord. Let it challenge us, I pray, and guide us in how we should live closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Something else we need to know or realize as we look at this account of Matthew, he's telling of this account, is actually condensed. He chooses not to focus on the finer details. So there's some things here which seem to contradict the account in Luke. So in Luke, we see that uh, this centurion actually sent others to speak to Jesus. But this isn't really a contradiction. Some people say it is a contradiction, but it's not. Um, those Jews who went to Jesus did so at the bidding of the centurion. So realistically, they are going as his representatives, as his ambassadors. And certainly, if Pastor Darrell asked me to do something uh, in the worship ministry, I would possibly t pass that on to Judy. And then Darrell would say to me, did you get that done? And I would say, yes. And it doesn't mean I actually physically did it. It means I facilitated the person who was able to do that. And that's certainly the case in what happens here. The centurion told those who were the Jewish leaders, his representatives, to actually go and speak to Jesus. And a little bit later on, we are told in Luke that he sent his friends. That's when Jesus came as well. So they went, and they went to Jesus because of the centurion's beliefs. And there are many things that we can talk about here. And it's not just about his faith. He appears to be different to so many people of his day, including those who were leaders of Israel. And remember Jesus had said, Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what we see is this being lived out by this man. Here is this man who sends his representatives to Jesus because he believes that Jesus has the ability to heal his servants. And he says, through his servants, through his messengers, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And there's so much within that verse, that one verse that expresses 
the centurion's character, attitude, humility, and faith. And I want to dig into that a little bit. He, first and foremost, addresses Jesus as Lord. And this is the same term that the leper used in the previous verses. This is a term for an earthly master, someone who has authority. But as we see, just like the leper, this centurion thinks more of Jesus than him just being an earthly master or a man who has authority. Then he reveals the subject of his concern. He says, my servant. And this is bizarre. And it is so incredibly bizarre, but we just don't pick up on it. We don't understand um, what is actually being said here and why it is so counter to the culture of the day. This Roman centurion is making his petition because of his servant. And another way this could be translated is his slave. And in the Roman Empire, slaves were nothing. They had no value whatever. It didn't matter if they suffered. It hardly mattered if they died. And a slave was seen as being no better than a thing. To give you an idea, I quote one, a Roman agricultural writer named Varro. And he actually wrote about the implements that were used for agriculture. And he believed that there were three categories of these implements or instruments for agriculture. Uh, there's the articulate, which comprise slaves. There's the inarticulate, which comprise cattle. And there's the mute, which comprises the vehicles. And he goes on to speak about these classifications. But in his classifications of agricultural instruments, the only difference between a slave and an animal or cart is that the slave can speak. There's no other classification. There's no other value in the slave. And in that day and culture, if a slave was sick, they'd literally just throw him out. They, he is of no further use, so they would discard him and get rid of him. But this centurion, he had compassion upon his servant. He saw his servant suffering and he went to Jesus to get help. But he, just like the leper, approached Jesus with no demand, no command and no requests. He just states the facts. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And some commentators say that Jesus' response is actually a question. Where we have a translation which says, I will come and heal him. Many say, will I come and heal him? And realistically, it doesn't matter either way. What he said here is that Jesus has the power, he has the ability, and he has the willingness in order to heal this man. That would mean Jesus, a Jew, is willing to enter this Gentile's home in order to heal someone who is considered worthless in their culture and community at that time. And this is also incredible. It's truly outstanding, but it's not to be. And we don't know why the centurion responds to what Jesus says the way he does, but it's highly likely that he is aware that Jews regarded Gentile houses as ceremonially unclean. And so if Jesus was to enter his house, Jesus himself would become unclean. And so this centurion doesn't want to put Jesus into that situation. He doesn't want to get him to have to make that choice. And so he sends his friends... And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. It would seem that the centurion doesn't want to put Jesus in that difficult situation, but he again addresses Jesus politely with that use of the word Lord. And then he expresses his unworthiness to have Jesus enter his home. 
And when we think about it, isn't that how we come to faith in Jesus? Isn't that our initial response? It's an expression or an awareness of our unworthiness. It's an acknowledgement or a belief in Jesus being the only hope we have that will bring healing to us, that will bring release to us from the punishment and the bondage of sin. The centurion has reached this point. And when you think about him, when you think about his acknowledgement of who Jesus is, how could he, a Gentile, have the Messiah of the Jews, the Messiah of Israel, come into his house? But he understands the power and authority that Jesus has. He says to Jesus, you don't need to come, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And why does he say that? Because he is also a man under authority. He has soldiers under him. And he says to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And again, this is incredible. What we always see is this man saying that he tells someone to do something and he does it. And what we often miss, and I think I'm very guilty of this, is that the man is under authority. He is expressing that he understands who Jesus is. And on his authority, he is performing, and on whose authority, sorry, that Jesus is performing these miracles and proclaiming his word. He is under authority, the Roman centurion. And all authority for the Roman army rests with the emperor. But this centurion was subject to him as his ultimate authority. And yet when he gave orders, he was obeyed because he spoke with the authority of the emperor. And somehow this man understood what even the religious leaders of the day did not. Jesus was speaking with the authority of God. He was acting with the authority of God. And even though this man respects Jesus, he expands on what he said to show he understands. He, with the limited authority he has, says, go, come, do, and he is obeyed. And I believe he looks to Jesus. And he sees Jesus as having all authority over all of creation. And because of that, he just needs to speak. And this disease or whatever it is that is ailing his servant will have to obey Jesus' command. And his servant will be healed. When Jesus hears this, we're told that he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such great faith. What we need to understand here is that Jesus is not surprised by this man's face, but he's expressing how astonishing, how marvelous it is that this Gentile is expressing such faith when he has not even seen anyone in Israel express faith like this. And it's really interesting too, because the word that is translated marvelous here is only used one other time in the New Testament, and used by Jesus, sorry, one other time in the New Testament. And here is to emphasize the faith of this Gentile. And the other time it is used is when Jesus marvels at the lack of belief of those in his hometown in Mark 6.5. So he's marveling at the great faith of this Gentile and he marvels at the lack of faith of the Israelites, of the Jews in his hometown of Nazareth. I believe what is happening with the centurion 
And Jesus' next comments seem to affirm this. That what happens with the centurion is just a foretaste of what will happen with Gentile faith. And Jesus, he who knows the hearts of men, says that he has not seen such faith in all of Israel. But he wants to emphasize that this man will not be on his own in the coming kingdom. When we read verse 11, it says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this banquet that is alluded to here is mentioned in Isaiah 25. And it is said that all peoples will be at this feast. But the Jews interpreted the fact that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were there to mean that this was a Jewish table. There would only be Jews present at this great feast in glory. And so what Jesus says here is important. He starts with, I tell you, it's like highlighting scripture and pointing to this and saying, this is important, you need to pay attention, look at what I'm saying, listen to this word. And he goes on to say, many will come. And there's no further clarity on the number, but it's clear that Jesus is speaking of large numbers of people. And this large number of people will come from east and west. And when we read the same account in Luke, he actually adds north and south as well. So these people will gather from the ends of the earth at this table and every one of them will be welcome. Not only will Gentiles be included in those who are ultimately saved, not only will Gentiles be sitting at that table, but they'll enter into God's promised blessing, reclining at the table with those patriarchs at that time. And this isn't the whole story, because Jesus says, not all Israel will be present. The fact that the Gentiles will be reclining at this table with the patriarchs would have been such a huge shock for all those Jewish people listening. They would not have been able to believe it, to have these people reclining at the table. But what Jesus says next was unthinkable he says the gentiles will be reclining at the table while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth the word or meaning of sons here in this verse is one who shares in is worthy of or stands in relation to something jesus is speaking about the jews who because of their Nations' relationship to God believe that they have an automatic entry into the kingdom of heaven and this feast with the patriarchs. But Jesus says their lack of faith will exclude them. They'll be thrown out. And this won't be a temporary thing. They will be thrown out into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will be in a place of ultimate suffering, a place of total darkness. There will be multitudes of people there, but they will be in complete isolation. They will have no relationship with anyone else. They won't be in touch with anyone else. The Jews should ultimately enjoy the kingdom which is being prepared for them. But they will ultimately be cast instead into the isolation and suffering of hell. This is the place prepared for Satan and his horde and any who refuse to submit to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And so the Jews had to learn that being a physical descendant of Abraham was not enough to promise automatic entry into the kingdom. Being part of the nation of Israel was also not enough. Always has been, always will be about faith 
and faith alone. Faith like this centurion, who Jesus now turns back and speaks through him to his representatives. And he expresses his power and willingness to heal this servant. What Jesus says reaffirms the faith of the centurion. A faith which acknowledges the power and authority of Jesus as the one who can heal. An authority no other can or will ever have. And Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. And we also need to understand the actual healing here is not in proportion to the faith of the centurion. It's done as a response to his faith. That Jesus is the one who can heal. The centurion believed that. And in him trusting Jesus, Jesus has the opportunity to do a mighty work of power and heal this servant miraculously. Jesus speaks the word and the servant is healed at that very moment. Now I don't know and I'm very unsure of what comes to mind for you when you reflect on this account. Jesus' primary concern, his mission, was to bring men and women into a saving knowledge of himself. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs, according to the promise. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, in his kingdom. We are all one in him. And the Roman centurion seems to have got that. He seems to know who Jesus is and his desperate need of him. And my question is, do you know that? There's only one way to get to heaven. One way to be seated at that feast with the patriarchs and Jesus. That is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live in obedience to him. There were many in Jesus' day, as Jesus was saying this, who believed because of their Jewish heritage that they would be part of that feast. They took it as a given. And Jesus has corrected that. He said, it always has been and always will be about faith in the promised Messiah. And we know that Jesus declares that he is that promised Messiah. And we don't have too many people within SDBC who would claim that they're going to get a free pass into heaven because of their Jewish heritage. But we do have a similar problem. We have people who think coming to church, saying the right things, acting the right way is enough. They are believing a lie. And I beg you, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I beg you, do something about that. We are told in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And just like the Jews thinking being part of a church is enough will not cut it. Eternal life is found in Christ and Christ alone. I think the other thing that speaks to me from this passage is many of us are facing great struggles particularly when it comes to loved ones who are ill, loved ones who don't know Jesus, loved ones who may be estranged from us. When we think about this centurion, 
and how he went to Jesus. He just stated the facts. He didn't ask anything of Jesus. He didn't know what Jesus would do. But he knew who Jesus was. And he knew whatever the outcome, that would be the best outcome in that situation. He left that decision to Jesus. And I believe we need to be more like that as a people. I believe we need to take our big issues to Jesus. We need to believe that he is the creator of all things. He has all power, all knowledge, all authority over all things. And because of that, we can go to him with anything and everything. Sometimes life itself is difficult. And we just need to go and say, Jesus, this is hard. Sometimes everything weighs in upon us. We just need to go and say, Jesus, I'm not coping. Sometimes we're broken for the lost, especially those who are nearest to us. Jesus, I love my son. I love my daughter. I love my father. I love my mother. I love my wife. I love them so much that they don't know you. Sometimes we're caught in a transition of faith where we think God is distant. And so we're caught in that point, Jesus I don't know what you want from me. I love you. I want to serve you. Help me. In the midst of this, we can't assume that Jesus is going to do a miraculous healing like he did with his slave for the centurion. We can be confident that he hears us and that he answers us. We need to have the faith to take our issues and our great burdens to him and leave them with him, just like the centurion did. And Jesus will respond in his perfect time. And it'll be the answer that is best for us at that time as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for how challenging it is, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to be with us in our journey with you. I pray, Lord, that the word that has been spoken this evening will be a word that challenges. And I pray, Lord, that you'll call us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that those things that are too big for us, those things that we don't understand, we will have that courage, that faith, as the centurion did, to come and just state the facts to you, Lord, to lay them at your feet and to trust that you can take them and do what you need to with those, Lord, that you will answer us in a way that honors and glorifies you and that, Lord, we'll be looking for those answers and we'll be thankful. Father, just guide us as we head into this week. Help us to spend time with you and get to know you more. And help us to submit fully to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.